This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we are pleased to note we'll be speaking with Dr. Matthew Bishop, Professor of Computer Science here at UC Davis, who led a team at the direction of Secretary of State Deborah Bowen's office, which looked into the electronic voting machines here in California, which are suspect, to say the least. We have covered uh, this topic extensively on this program. I would also direct you to the Christine Craft Show over at KSAC, 1240 a.m., where in... Uh, Previous Radio Parallax guest Brad Friedman has spoken with Christine about this. We expect to have Brad on this show as well next week or the week after. The Secretary of State's office has noted that uh, Deborah Bowen will speak to us on this program, but it won't be on today's program uh, owing to some uh, conflicts in her schedule. But we hope to bring her to you next week. We have uh, liked to point out on this program in the past that sometimes the most important news is not found on page one. And certainly a classic example of this was uh, the July 31st Sacramento Bee, where this story about the decertification of these voting machines was on page A3, not the front page. We're also dismayed to see the headline that was in the Bee, which was as follows. Election officials blast vote hacking research. Article by Kevin Yamamura started as follows. Dozens of California local elections officials on Monday defended electronic voting and criticized as unrealistic new University of California research showing that three computer-based systems have serious security flaws. We'd, we'd like to point out to you, as Brad Friedman did on the air a couple days back, that at least in one case, the registrar of voters in San Diego County was previously a salesperson for Debolt, the manufacturer of electronic voting machines. And you may have also noted Dan Walter's column in the B on Monday. Apparently, a lot of these same election officials have been bending uh, Dan Walter's ear and have uh, have, conv- have convinced him of the fact that uh, that hanky panky with an electronic voting machine is about as likely as the Earth being invaded by aliens in flying saucers. We in this program are quite confident that Mr. Walters has it wrong. Stay tuned for more on that in segment two. Let us commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which is August 9th. Evidently, a lot of battles uh, in ancient times were fought on this day, starting in 450 B.C., August 9th. The Persians defeat King Leonidas of Sparta and his 10,000 Greeks at the Battle of Thermopylae. This was the subject of a recent Hollywood movie and has been a subject of numerous good Hollywood movies. This is considered one of the epic losing battles of history. August 9th, 48 B.C., Roman General Julius Caesar defeats his one-time friend, Pompey, in Greece. Pompey then fled to Egypt. Caesar followed, but found that Pompey had already been murdered by the accommodating Egyptians, seeking to curry favor with the new power in the Roman Empire. These events prompted uh, Caesar to meet Cleopatra, and had something to do later with Richard Burton's involvement with Elizabeth Taylor. And I must say, we do lament the fact we've been unable to get Dr. Spiridakis to ever come on this program because he used to give lectures on this topic that people would attend just for the, just as spectators for their entertainment value. I was one such student and I remember him describing um, the movie Cleopatra, <laughs> sort of shaking his head and saying, that bovine woman portraying the Queen of Egypt. Puh. 
And on this date in 378 A.D., in one of the most decisive battles in all history, a large Roman army was defeated by horse-mounted Visigoths at the Battle of Adrianople in present-day Turkey. The Visigoth victory left the Eastern Roman Empire nearly defenseless and established the supremacy of cavalry over infantry, something that would last for the next thousand years. This battle put an end to the Roman legion, which had previously been the strongest fighting force in the Western world for the previous six and a half centuries. Apparently what had happened in this case was that Huns invading from the east had displaced the Visigoths from the eastern part uh, of the Danube. They crossed over into Roman territory, to which the Romans then took advantage of them by looting everything that they had. The Visigoths, uh, smarting from this, learned a few tricks from their Hun adversaries, which particularly was the fact that they rode horses that had saddles with stirrups. So the Visigoths, with their uh, saddles and stirrups, had a much more efficient cavalry than the Romans did, and uh, really that carried the day, again, as we say, for the next thousand years. And in our final item, which also uh, deals with the area of conflict and war, on August 9, 1945, a second atomic bomb was dropped on Japan by the United States. That was at Nagasaki and resulted in Japan's unconditional surrender in World War II. This device was composed of plutonium, unlike the Hiroshima bomb, which was made of uranium. A plutonium-based atomic device does present some extra technical challenges then and now. And uh, it should be noted that famous Trinity test in New Mexico where they blew off the first atom bomb was also a plutonium device. They were so certain that it was easy to make an A-bomb using uranium that they didn't bother to test it before they dropped one on Hiroshima. Let's do our quote of the day, and somehow, somehow I missed this one. This one goes back a few weeks. Uh, it came from Homeland Security Chief Michael Chertoff. He said some weeks back, we are entering a period this summer of increased risk. It turns out the Homeland Secretary based this assessment on what he described as, quote, a gut feeling, unquote. Now, ladies and gentlemen, with the CIA, the NSA, and all of the eyes and ears, spy agencies this government has to offer, with the combined resources that should be at the Homeland Security's fingertips, wouldn't you hope that he would base his predictions and thoughts about what's likely to happen on more than, quote, a gut feeling, unquote? Well, we would. But then we're not a part of the Bush administration. We do have to cite that editorial cartoon <laughs> a few weeks back that shows the warden of uh, whatever prison it was that they had Paris Hilton in addressing the young heiress, saying to her, look, you have two choices if you don't go back to jail again. Either you, A, stop committing crimes, or B, join the Bush administration. And our quip of the day comes from Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater, who noted, quote, I'm afraid the system of checks and balances has been supplanted by the check, unquote. And we have to thank a listener, Kim, for some of, the, some of these priceless quotes. We're going to do some more quotes here that, that were sent to us in an email. I prefer rogues to imbeciles because they sometimes take a rest. Said the immortal Voltaire, marriage is the only adventure open to the cowardly. And this quote is an anonymous one, but it's pretty good. The human race is faced with a cruel choice, work 
or daytime television. And my personal favorite from Sasha Guitry, you can pretend to be serious. You can't pretend to be witty. Thanks to Kim for that. We also have our joke of the day contributed by listener Karen. Two guys were discussing trends on sex, marriage, and values. Stu says, I did not sleep with my wife before we got married. Did you? Lou replied, I'm not sure. What was her maiden name? Our statistic of the day, from this, this is from the Newsweek Princeton Survey Research. 64% of Americans say that President Bush's surge of additional troops in Iraq has failed. Conversely, 22% call it a success. Didn't we do a thing a couple weeks back about, about 22%? So how, how that number seems to reverberate? 22% of Americans seem that they'll believe anything? I don't know. Calling the surge a success certainly seems to fit the bill. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was apparently a good week last week for holding China's burgeoning population in check when Chinese authorities revised plans for teaching ballroom dancing in Chinese high schools for fear that students might start having feelings for each other. Students will dance alone or in large groups rather than cheek to cheek with a member of the opposite sex. This way, said Yang Guiren of the Education Ministry, the risk of young love would be lowered. Was on the other hand, a bad week for the NRA last week when a New Hampshire Republican organization announced a fundraiser at which party members and their families can fire Uzi submachine guns, M6 rifles, and other military-style weapons. Said organizer Jerry Thibodeau of Manchester, the $25 entrance fee would entitle attendees to fire weapons they might not otherwise get to handle while simultaneously supporting the right to bear arms. It's a fun day. It's a family day, said Thibodeau, adding, it's quite exciting. So far, all local Republican candidates have declined to attend. And it was an ugly week last week, according to The Week magazine, for tort reform. After an Illinois woman who fell and broke her ankle while attempting to dance on top of a bar announced that she's suing the establishment for not stopping her. Evidently, Amy Mueller wants more than $50,000 from the owners of Sammy's Bar and Grill for, quote, allowing her to climb up on the bar without a step stool, ladder, or other device used for safety. Mueller's lawyer, Frank Svervignac, assured reporters, quote, I wouldn't take a case I believe is frivolous. She's completely shattered her right ankle. This isn't, I fell and bruised my back. No, it certainly isn't. All right, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And now uh, we have uh, 
previously not commented upon uh, that news item that surfaced last June that apparently Al-Qaeda, according to their training manuals, uh, okays torture. Writing in Salon.com, Glenn Greenwald noted, this may come as a shock, but the U.S. has historically held itself to a slightly higher standard of behavior than mass-murdering terrorist organizations. Greenwald noted, that's why it was big news when a nation that sees itself as a beacon of democracy engages in tactics that violate the norms of civilization. Somehow that uh, rather obvious distinction, he wrote, is entirely lost on the neoconservatives and other Bush followers who are now arguing that it's perfectly acceptable, indeed morally required, to torture any suspect terrorist we believe has useful information. He noted, their justification? It's the same one you hear from any third grader caught breaking the rules. Al-Qaeda does it too. Scott Shane, writing in the New York Times, noted that it wasn't Al-Qaeda that taught the Bush administration how to treat prisoners. It was the KGB, according to documents unearthed by investigators for the Senate Armed Services Committee. To force confessions from political prisoners and captured spies, the KGB used sleep deprivation, stress positions, and waterboarding. In recent years, the Pentagon and CIA studied those techniques and applied them to captured Al-Qaeda terrorists. Naturally, the KGB's Soviet masters always denied such treatment was torture, just as American officials have in recent years. According to the Times, personally, we feel a lot less bad about this if if these techniques were being applied only to al-Qaeda terrorists, but uh, in many cases, a lot of other people get the same treatment that uh, apparently turned out not to be terrorists. I mean, some of these cab drivers that were turned in in Pakistan for the bounty offered for anyone that could find a terrorist, uh, you know, you could waterboard them all you want. They weren't going to be able to yield any useful information. And in theatlanticonline.com, Andrew Sullivan noted that uh, the Nazis pretty much had the same view of it not being torture. They noted that the very term, enhanced interrogation, the one that's the Bush administration's uh, euphemism of choice, was actually coined in 1937 by the Gestapo who insisted that it never tortured anyone. It just found clever new ways to make people talk. This does remind us of the famous quote of Sigmund Freud when the Nazis uh, forced him out of Austria and the Gestapo made him uh, sign a paper that, uh, that he'd not been abused by them. Freud uh, wrote on it, I heartily recommend the Gestapo to anyone. All right, here's an item we've been sitting on since July 16th uh, from the Sacramento Bee. Article by Tony Bizjack about activist Rosemary Shahan. Ms. Shahan was described as a familiar face at the state capitol, a soft-spoken but passionate former English teacher who now heads Consumers for Auto Reliability and Safety, which she runs out of her Davis condo. The issue at hand, the fact that California, although it's the undisputed national leader in car theft and fraud, uh, well, according to a letter to California officials from the FBI and the U.S. Department of Justice, Well, they noted that California is one of just 20 states that don't participate in the National Vehicle Information Sharing Program, which is designed to reduce theft and fraud. And the feds were inquiring about what they could do to get California's Department of Motor Vehicles to sign up. Well, Shahan thinks, and the California Highway Patrol agrees, that if California would just join this computerized national system, uh, the state could put the squeeze on the teeming underworld of chop shops, car cloning, and title washing. But the DMV is not sold on the idea. The article quotes uh, spokesperson Mike Morano is saying, the National Motor Vehicle Title Information System is a good concept 
and has merit. We acknowledge the benefits of MMVTIS, of NMVTIS, as a tool for identifying stolen vehicles and protecting consumers. The problem seems to be that the DMV recently launched a major effort to modernize its own computer system for driver's licenses and vehicle registrations. Now, not until that's done, possibly in 2010, can the DMV seriously consider joining the National Information System. Okay, we're discussing this in the summer of 2007. We're talking about computer systems. California, home of Silicon Valley, and the nation, uh, the world's sixth, was it sixth largest economy, apparently can't modernize its own DMV computer system until 2010. Boy, you thought it was bad waiting in line at the DMV. Boy, apparently waiting for the DMV is really the problem. Well, R- Rosemary Shahan, if you're listening here in Davis, uh, send us an email. We need to get you on this show and talk about this. We need to also talk to somebody at the DMV. Holy mackerel. And for anyone who wants to send us an email, our address, as always, is info at radioparallax.com. And in fairness, I do want to add that I did have to go into the DMV uh, last month to get a license renewal, and actually I was very impressed with how efficient they moved people through. Now, if they can just speed up their, you know, upgrading their computer system, we'd all be okay. Another item that we're not going to get to today, but we're keen to bring you in the weeks to come, is this matter of the United States Army Corps of Engineers deciding that it wants to denude California's levee systems to supposedly improve flood safety, although this completely runs contrary to common sense in in every way. And we should note research done right here at UCD on levee systems. And of course, you know, engineering issues aside, uh, the catastrophic effect this would have on wildlife in California, where in many cases, you know, the trees and vegetation along our levees are the only remaining habitat for, uh, for animals and plants that, that, that need uh, a river environment. Well, I mean, that's a whole separate issue we'll have to address, and, and, and we will. And another issue is related to uh, water and dumb officials. Folks who apparently aren't thinking too clearly want to go out and spray the heck out of Sacramento and Yolo counties to combat mosquitoes carrying West Nile virus. As a practicing physician, I should note I'm extremely unconvinced by the arguments being made for aerial spraying to combat West Nile virus. And I promise you we're going to return to that topic too. And in a final item related to water matters and boneheaded officials... We cite the, uh, the July 26th issue of The Bee, article by Terry Hardy, which notes that uh, apparently the River Otter Taxi Company, which you may have seen ferrying people back and forth from Old Sac uh, to various establishments up the river, is now in the city of Sacramento's crosshairs. Yes, apparently Barbara Bonebreak, director of the city's Convention, Culture, and Leisure Department, has fired off a letter to the Sacramento Yacht Charters, This is a company which operates all the waterfront services, including the historic replica riverboats Matthew McKinley and Spirit of Sacramento, that among other things, the company didn't get necessary permits and also isn't operating land, water, amphibious trolleys as promised. It's quite a relief to know that the city of Sacramento has gone so far in solving all of the problems of the urban region that it can now focus on things like the permits of water taxis. Your tax dollars at work. I have to confess to having some familiarity with Ms. Bonebreak's administrative capabilities. 
She was the former director of the Sacramento Marina, and she pretty much did to the boat owners down there what the Red Army did to Estonia. Our sources down at the marina, who actually knew something about operating such a facility, used to roll their eyes and say, well, what can you say? Sometimes people uh, in positions of power maybe shouldn't be there. And uh, getting into power uh, through the means of uh, election fraud is something we need to address in this country, and we're going to do that after a short break by taking a look at a study commissioned by the Secretary of State's office to look at voting machines here in California. Stay tuned for our talk with Dr. Matthew Bishop to follow shortly. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 